continue on the Sermon on the Mount. So as the Lord uh, gives me the opportunity to um, speak during the first service, uh, I'm just going to do double time on Matthew. Uh, my preaching goal is to finish the Sermon on the Mount just prior to Easter so that we I'll preach a Palm Sunday message, Easter message, and then when we get back from Easter, I'll launch into the book of Acts, okay? So I was going to do an Old Testament book, but I'm going to save that for a little bit later. So we'll do a historical book, Acts, after Easter. So Matthew chapter 7. Um, so I'm handling this passage a little bit backwards just because of the nature of the content and who tends to uh, attend the, the two services. So actually, during the first service today, I'll be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Uh, preachers have called it hogs and dogs, uh, or dogs and hogs. I call it pearl and, pearls and pigs. I'm looking at one verse here in a few minutes. So let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we have together, Lord, that you have ordained that your family, your children should gather uh, as a body, those of us who are uh, indwelled by your spirits uh, through the new birth. Father, we gather today according to your will so that we can worship you. And uh, Lord, no doubt so many things have been happening uh, this past week, um, uh, yesterday, even this morning, and just thoughts about the next few days, the next week, our minds are just racing around. And, and so, Lord, we ask that you would grant us by your power the ability to focus in on you, uh, to worship you in spirit and in truth now. Um, Lord, please help me to clearly articulate the thrust of this passage. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us and give us discernment, give us understanding so that we can love you and love others as we've been called to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at Matthew chapter 7, um, I think John Stott gets it right. Really what's going on is Jesus, now that he's gone through the, the ethical part of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he's moving towards how we're going to relate to one another. And we've looked at how to deal with our, our worry last time we were together, and now we're going to look at how are we going to deal with different relationships that we have as we seek to live life in the already not yet uh, and so today we're going to be looking at um, our relationship really with our family. And verse 6 deviates from that because verse 6 really are people who aren't in our family, but 1 through 5 would be people in our family. And then next week we'll look at our relationship with our Father, that we ask of our Father, and He gives us exactly what we need. Okay? And then Matthew seven twelve is the golden rule. And then Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 14 is the narrow way. And then 15 through 20 talking about false prophets, and then 21 through 29, uh, we're looking at whether we're building our house on the sand or on the rock of Christ. So that's where we're going as we look forward to the next few weeks. Uh, but today we're looking at planks, pigs, and pearls, specifically in verse 6, okay? During the second service, we'll look at point one up there, our attitude toward those in the church, our relationship with others in the church. How are we supposed to uh, discern the body of Christ? Okay, but today, right now, this morning, we're looking at our attitude towards those outside the church. 
So Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's ask a few questions of the text. The first question I'm going to ask is this, is what are, uh, what are what is sacred and pearls? Those two expressions, what are those two? What are they referring to? And almost uh, unanimously, uh, people look at that as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, some commentators would broaden it out to, okay, those pearls and that which is sacred could refer to just the entire uh, corpus, the entire body of Scripture. Some people would say that uh, it refers to the Lord's Supper. They would narrow it down to uh, that which is sacred, these, the pearls. You don't want unbelievers to come to the, the Lord's Supper. Um, and so how, we, how you and I use Scripture in general with reference to unbelievers is important. We need to have discernment with respect to that. Uh, really, we're offering false hope to somebody if we give them scripture and they're not a born-again believer, if they don't have the Spirit of God living within them, um, if you're saying live your life according to these principles, but they don't have the Holy Spirit's power to live out these principles, it's kind of, kind of difficult for them. Now, is there wisdom that they could learn and according to common grace that if they were able to live out part of that, you know? Yeah, absolutely, but they're not going to be doing it to the glory of God in a way that he uses to transform them. With respect to the Lord's Supper... Um, and I'm not saying don't share Scripture with unbelievers. I'm just saying you need to be cautious about it, okay? Uh, with respect to the Lord's Supper, certainly we want to guard the Lord's Supper. Uh, and that does, that does present to us the gospel made visible. Uh, but I think that's probably not what Jesus is referring to here. And I think Matthew 13 really helps us to understand what that which is sacred and pearls are, which is the good news of the kingdom, the good news of Messiah, who would come and die the death that we deserve to give us life that we don't deserve so that we can enter into the kingdom through the new birth, right? And so Jesus tells this very familiar parable. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. The gospel is a precious, precious gift from God that which we should be willing to give up everything for. So that's what the, the, that which is sacred, the pearls, that's what I believe he's referring to. Now about the dogs and the pigs. Such coarse and vulgar language being used here. Um, that's when we read that, that's what we think, right? Jesus is talking about dogs and pigs. That sounds so harsh. Well, if it comes from the mouth of Jesus, he's not sinning. And so basically he's calling it as he sees it. He has perfect discernment. Who are the dogs and the pigs? Uh, I'm going to go to a commentator here, John Stott, and I think John Stott really nails this passage. He does a good job with it. The dogs and the pigs with whom we are forbidden to share the gospel pearl are not just unbelievers. They must rather be those who have had ample opportunity to hear and receive the good news, but have decisively, even defiantly rejected Okay, so there he defines for us who the, the dogs and the hogs are, the, the dogs and the pigs. Uh, those who have heard the gospel, yet they just reject it outright, and they, they do it in a, in a somewhat derisive, 
contemptuous manner. So having been in Hamtramck for, uh, since 2006, and um, we've made it our practice to share the gospel as much as we can, uh, there are many times, um, not many, how do you define many? I have experienced a number of times where we've shared the gospel, and particularly in the Muslim community, where they begin to talk about Jesus in very vulgar terms. And we're going to talk about how to, you know, um, have discernment with respect to that. But when you begin to talk about Jesus Christ in terms that are very um, uh, vulgar, then I think probably we need to withdraw and, and hold on to that pearl, okay? Now, that being said, sometimes that's just the first thing that comes out of a Muslim's mouth when you're trying to share the gospel with them because they've been trained to respond in certain ways to who Jesus Christ really is, okay? And so we have to be patient with that, and we'll see that in a minute. Um, but if you do share the gospel uh, frequently, then you kind of understand what Jesus is talking about here. When I've gone over to the Hamtramck homes and shared the gospel, and I've done that plenty of times with people, my biggest hurdle is connecting with people who aren't high or drunk, okay? And um, I try my best uh, to have discernment concerning that. Um, typically, when somebody's high, they get very uh, philosophical, and they have all these big words they're throwing out with me about, you know, life and the meaning of life. And, um, and when they're drunk, it's a little more easy to understand, you know, that that's the case. But uh, really, I believe in that case, you're, you're starting to, to throw pearls before a swine um, at that case, okay? Because they don't have the, really the cognitive capacity necessarily to receive the truths of the gospel, and you are putting them in a position where they could say things that they wouldn't say under um, normal circumstances, okay? But again, we're going to look at how to nuance that, have compassion, and show love, okay? So, in this passage, is Jesus saying, he says, do not give. Is he saying that we shouldn't give the gospel to everybody. Now, hyper-Calvinists would say, well, of course he's saying that, right? Some hyper-Calvinists would say, God's going to save who he's going to save, right? Whether I give him the gospel or not, which is kind of flies in the face of particular passages of Scripture that tell us to go and make disciples. How do you do that? By proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, yes, God's going to save who he's going to save, but we have to give the gospel message whenever we can. We need to sow seed, as Jesus says. So what is he saying here? What exactly does Jesus mean? Well, as we look at the New Testament, we can see that there are times when various personalities in Scripture decide, I'm not going to speak anymore to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to speak anymore to you, the truth of God's word, because you're treating it with contempt you're responding in a very close, coarse and vulgar manner. Uh, a classic passage would be like Luke chapter 23. We see Jesus, he has an interaction with Herod. And he called Herod a fox. Tell that sly fox. But in Luke chapter 23, we see Jesus, uh, the, the Luke records for us, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. But Herod, Herod wanted, he wanted the show. He wanted... The, the, the good times in rock and roll. He says, from what he had heard about him, he hoped that he might see some kind of a sign of some sort. 
He plied him with many questions, but what Jesus gave him, no answer. Now, certainly Jesus, he knows the thoughts and intentions of all people. He knows their heart. But we see here Jesus didn't respond to him. But with respect to Pilate, it was a little bit different in Luke chapter 23. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus did respond, you have said so, Jesus replied. But that's not all that we know uh, about what Pilate said. Because in John chapter 18, we read this. Pilate went back inside the palace and summed Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? I am a Jew. I'm sorry, am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would go and would fight and prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. And everybody on the side of the truth listens to me. And then there's Pilate's famous question, what is truth? Right? So there was this longer discourse between Jesus and Pilate. So in one case, he doesn't say anything. And in another case, he says more. How about in Acts chapter 13? This is... Paul's interaction in Corinth, and he says, the, the Luke records for us this, then Paul and Barnabas answered, boldly, answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it, and do, reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. So in Corinth, Paul went to the synagogue first, he went to the Jews, they rejected it, he says, okay, You don't consider yourself worthy of eternal life, so now we're going to somebody else. We're shaking the dust off of our feet in this synagogue. On Acts chapter 18, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes and protested them and said, and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it, innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So we have two cases here where there was a giving of the gospel. It's rejected. And okay, that's it. You've had your chance. That seems so cold, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 15. Jesus, in reference to the Pharisees, he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Boy, if that doesn't say a lot about the sovereignty of God and salvation, I don't know what, what does. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, talking about the Pharisees. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He's like, leave them. They are not listening to the truth. With respect to believers, even, people who profess faith, people who have Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, right? They've tasted of the heavenly gift, right? They've participated in church life. They've heard the gospel message. They have in some form, you know, professed faith. And now they're turning away from the truth. He says, warn a divisive person once. Warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. That sounds so harsh. Nothing. Have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are even self in them. So we see plenty of evidence in Scripture 
where the actions of the apostles of Jesus, no less, are to withhold giving out the truth, withhold giving out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is commanding his disciples not to share the richest parts of spiritual truth with persons who are persistently vicious, irresponsible, and unappreciative. That's D.A. Carson. That's the point. We have to be discerning, right? We're going to see this in verses 1 through 5 in the second message about being discerning when we interact with people within the body. But here we're called to be discerning with respect to those outside the body, those with whom we want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. So let's look at six implications related to pearls and pigs. We won't spend a long time on each of these points, so don't don't fret, because you're thinking, if he just does five minutes on each point, we're another 30 minutes, so it's not going to take nearly that long. Okay, so six implications related to pearls and pigs. Number one, the gospel is the most precious pearl not to be handled carelessly. Right? The gospel is, it, it contains the revelation of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Is there anyone more precious than Jesus Christ? Is there any more message, uh, any message any more precious than the message of Jesus Christ? God in the flesh revealed to us the one who would give his life willingly for us and rise from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life. Is there anything more precious, right? And Paul recognizes this as he talks about his apostolic ministry and the message that he had been given and why people weren't receiving that message. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot receive, they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of of God, right? The definition there of the gospel, it displays the glory of Christ. And so this is a precious pearl that we need to protect and utilize discernment when we are communicating the truth of the gospel. When I talked about evangelism back in the summer, I said you have to be clear and accurate, clear and accurate, because you're talking about Christ, and you don't want anybody to be confused. Right, so this gospel is the most precious pearl not to be handled carelessly because as sovereign as God is, people's eternal destiny is, deter- is, is, is in the balance there. Right? Nobody's going to come to faith in Jesus Christ apart from the gospel. God's not going to save anybody in this dispensation apart from them hearing the gospel, receiving the gospel, Okay, and being born again. It's just not going to happen. So we, we need to handle the gospel correctly. Secondly, the second implication, really it, it, if you look at the verse we just looked at, not all will receive the good news of the gospel. Not everybody's going to receive the good news. And sometimes we act like we are the only ones responsible for that person hearing and receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is a time in our relationships where we just need to pull back and say, okay, you know, I've given you the gospel. There's just nothing else I can do. I'm going to pray for you. The Holy Spirit's going to have to soften your heart and open up your heart. Not all will receive the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Only those who were appointed to salvation. Acts chapter 13. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed to eternal life believed, right? I just want to put in a verse here that just shows God's absolute sovereignty 
in salvation. God has to work in their heart, and he works in the hearts of those who have been appointed to eternal life. So if somebody is, is um, contemptuous towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, if somebody returns with vulgar, coarse language describing our Savior Jesus Christ, then we need to be discerning and withdraw the gospel and understand that if, if it's God's plan for this person to be saved, they've been appointed to eternal life, then he's going to soften their heart at some point for them to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. You might say, well, who knows? If I keep trying, he might at some point soften their gospel. I just keep on. If I come back tomorrow, it may be that time. And I think that flies in the face of what this passage says. All right, so not all will receive the good news of the gospel. Thirdly, we must practice discernment when engaging in evangelism. Right? I've pretty much said this at least 20 times. We have to practice discernment. Spurgeon says this about believers. He says, the saints are not judges, but saints are not simpletons either. Right? We're not to be simpletons. We're supposed to use the noggin that God has given us okay, and rightly discern the attitude of the person with respect to the gospel and what we've been called to do by our Savior Jesus Christ and move forward accordingly. But sometimes it's difficult to understand when to keep going and when to withdraw. Right, this is a passage that gets thrown up a lot, right? Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. Don't you love passages like this? They're like, okay, I don't know what to do. I just got spun around 360 degrees. I have no idea what I should do right now. But it calls for wisdom, doesn't it? Sometimes you just keep your mouth shut and walk away. Sometimes you need to back up and say, you need to repent of your sin now and turn to Jesus Christ, the only way of salvation. You're being a fool right now. You're talking foolishly. And that may be all you need to say. So there needs to be wisdom. There needs to be discernment. So how do we get that? Well, it's very simple. We ask God for it. In those relationships that you have where you are actively engaging the person with the gospel, you pray for wisdom. James chapter 1. You ask him for wisdom. And when you pray, you believe, you have faith in that prayer. And you move forward according to your conscience. Number four, even though there are dogs and pigs in the world, we must never engage in hateful speech or hurtful actions against the gospel's opposition. Right? So, uh, so this would be like you know, in Hamtramck Square, they start maligning Christians. Hamtramck Square is a Facebook page that is not recommended to anybody. The only, thing, only reason I knew something about it was this past summer when Spread the Word was here. Uh, somebody posted some stuff about an activity we were doing at the park, and so all of a sudden my eyes were open to Hamtramck Square, which is a hate site, okay? And so uh, I wouldn't recommend hating on the haters. Um, you don't need to respond in hurtful, nasty speech when people oppose the gospel. You respond with truth, okay, but not hurtful and hateful speech. Because ultimately, right, those people that we're dealing with, what they're, they're, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're blinded by the God of this world. They're darkened in the futility of their mind. 
Have compassion on them, okay? Don't respond hurtfully and hatefully because also they are held captive by Satan to do as well, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, or they're, uh, they're following the God of this world, Ephesians chapter 2. And they're also held captive by Satan to do as well. They're children of the devil, First John, right? They are not going to receive the truth unless God opens their hearts. So, so their opposition is according to Satan's opposition, and your battle is not against flesh and blood, right? In Ephesians chapter 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's embarrassing. I actually thought I'd turn this off. That's the problem, you can't see. Forgive me. Now it's going to be on, online for forever. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? So sometimes we read this passage, and all that we think about is ourselves, and we think about our personal sin struggles, and we think about the fact that it's not just, just my body that I'm dealing with, right? It's, it's this satanic pressure against me that's, you know, causing me to go towards this sin. It's not necessarily what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the satanic influence in the world is is, is you live as a child of light, yes, but as the gospel is being spread, right? Because at the end of that passage, he's just praying the Spirit on all occasions, right? And he starts talking about his apostolic ministry as one who spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the people with whom you're, to whom you're giving the gospel, they're controlled by Satan. So there's a satanic opposition there. Right? So, so realize that and respond accordingly. Okay, even though dogs and, there are dogs and pigs in the world, we must not engage in hateful speech or hurtful actions against the gospel's opposition. Number five, we're almost there. Because dogs and pigs come in different varieties, we must approach them differently. Sometimes it's just firm, like, okay, that's it. I'm turning away from you. Sometimes it might be, okay, this person's hurting. I need to, you know, acts of compassion and mercy to this person. And plead with them again, even though they've rejected it, okay? So it, just, it takes wisdom. You can't approach everybody the same way. Oh, they said this word. That means, oh, that's it. You know, that's the, that's the word I was looking for, so I'm done. Right, so as we look at Scripture just in general, right? Jesus says at one point, he says, leave them. They're blind. The other point he talks about here, go tell that fox. I'm done with him. I'm not having anything to do with him. Elsewhere in the Gospels, like in Luke chapter 9, where they're going through Samaria, right? And some Samaritans oppose Jesus and his disciples. And John and James are just full of compassion, where they say, should we call out fire from heaven to destroy these guys? Jesus is like, no. <laughs> That's not what we came And then doubting Thomas. I mean, what he, he could have with doubting Thomas been like, how many times has it been, Thomas? Come on. I mean, really? I was crucified. Now I'm standing in front of you, and you're still having a hard time believing? In other words, all these evidences have been given to you. I have explained the gospel 20 times. We've read through more than a carpenter twice. All these evidences have been given to you, and you're still not responding. And Jesus still has compassion. And he would even weep over a city that was getting ready to crucify him. 
So the response cannot be cookie cutter, okay? And we do get cookie cutter sometimes in our gospel presentations, don't we? I mean, the gospel is a truth, right? We don't detract from Christ died from our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again on the third day. But how we approach the person and how we present those truths can't be the same every time. Lastly, six, though you may hide your pearls, right? Though you've made the decision, you've discerned, I need to walk away from this person. Don't hide your light. The quality of your life may be used by God to soften the heart's of dogs and pigs. And God does use their actions, right? The gospel is a message that must be communicated, but he uses vessels to communicate that message. And most of us have probably been there at a point where it's like, there's nothing else I can say. There's nothing else I can say. I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to live out my faith. But sometimes it's hard. I've got a relationship right now. I'm just like, it's the relationship so hard for me. Like every time I go through the doors of this place, I'm like, something else gets me. And I have the hardest time being salt and light there in that situation. But we have to live out our faith, be light in the darkness, and maybe God will use that. Right? And, and 1 Peter 3 is a good example of a wife and a husband. And the wife, I, what else can I say? But through your godly example, God might bring them to repentance as they watch how you live out your faith. James Montgomery Boyce says this, It is often impossible to talk to some people about Jesus Christ. Their their insensitiveness, I don't use that word much, insensitiveness, their moral blindness, their intellectual pride, cynical mockery, the tarnishing film, may make them impervious to the words about Christ. But it is always possible to show men Christ. And the weakness of the church lies not in the lack of Christian arguments, but in the lack of Christian lives. So, the point today, exercise discernment with the gospel. Erring on the side of mercy and grace. And we'll see that mercy and grace as we look at verses 1 through 5. You know, as I've gone through this, all this assumes that what? You're giving the gospel to people. That's the assumption. Okay. So let's pray over that and ask God for wisdom, um, specifically in the lives of those where we feel like maybe we need to withdraw. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the passage here today, this verse 5, which seems like a, almost a randomly placed passage that's enigmatic, but Lord, in your great wisdom, you have a purpose for this passage. And Lord, as I think of our ministry here in the city and uh, how we go about fulfilling the Great Commission, uh, Lord, this is a passage that we as followers of Christ really need to think through and pray about. Uh, in some of those relationships that we have where people are, are rejecting the truth and, and in a contemptuous way, Lord. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom.